Welcome back, everybody, to Altered States. I'm your host, Max Casaza, and I'm here with a dear friend today, Blake Hemmel. We've known each other since pre-K, and uh, we've been talking to each other regularly because Blake has been updating me with his travels. He's been working as a videographer for a real estate company, and he recently decided uh, to leave his role and to embark on a, uh, he says, a one-year journey to uh, really his heart's desire living out of his his truck. And so we're going to hear a lot about uh, his, his routine, what he's seen along the way, because um, he he's surely seen a lot in just a short time that he's been doing it. He's been in this for about a month and uh, you're going to get to hear about his routine, the cost, adjusting emotionally, uh, what it's like to create content on the road, what it's like to maintain uh your health in various ways on the road. Uh, what it's like to, to sleep and where you have to go if, uh, you know, you don't feel too safe about a particular area. So he will gladly share all of these different things. So I'm going to turn it over to Blake now. And we're going to hear about where he's at currently. Hey, Max, thank you for the uh, little intro there. Um, yeah, it's been it's been actually two months now since I left my job um, working at a marketing agency doing videography and um, creating marketing content for the commercial real estate and construction industries in Phoenix. And I worked there for about three years. <laughs> And um, kind of at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, had this uh, idea and inspiration to um, get out and live full time on the road. Obviously, it wasn't really much of a option right at the beginning of the pandemic or through the middle of it. Um, but uh, that gave me a lot of time to sort of plan for it. So that was about a year and a half in the making before I actually got out and hit the road. Um, thanks for stopping the music, by the way. <laughs> it was a little, a little hard hearing, my, or hearing myself talk over that. But um, um, but yeah, you yeah, said it well, it, Max. Um, it's uh, It's been two months again since I, I left the job, and I spent about a month prepping, went back to New Jersey, where uh, Max and I grew up, and just took a little time with the family, um, knowing that I had the opportunity to do that and then came back and departed on September 1st. And currently um, I am technically off the road. I'm back in Phoenix where I spent a lot of time uh, living and working 
before hitting the road. I have a good friend that's getting married in about 12 days. So I'm here for some pre-wedding stuff and then the wedding. And then I am going to get back out there by the end of October is the plan uh, on the road again. And what do you plan to do for the holidays? What is my plan for you'll the holidays? Have, you'll have just a couple months and then... Yeah, do you have anything that you're going to add to your trip to, uh, you know, just so you can still celebrate them, even though you're going to be... I mean... Maybe you won't have to plan it. Maybe something will just come your way. and uh, Yeah, that's exactly you know, it. Um, maybe I don't have to plan it. To that has been, um, that has sort of been the way of operation for me um, over the last couple of weeks. It's been not really having a plan, I guess. And, uh, and we can go into that. That's a whole other can of worms, but really I've just been flying by the seat of my pants almost day to day. And the plan for what's happening in a week or two is always subject to change. And that includes the plan for the holidays. Um, I've been talking to my family a little bit and I think, um, I'd like to, at least I'd like to be with my family at least for Christmas. So, um, my brother Ryan and uh, sister-in-law Tracy, they just, bought a house in LA and we talked about having Christmas actually at their house and having myself drive there because I'll be on the road. I'll be in the area, the Southern California area at that time anyways. And, um, my mom would just fly out and meet us there. We could kind of celebrate in the, uh, their new home and all be together. And for me, that's probably easy because probably the easiest option, because like I said, I'll already be kind of in the Southern California, uh, desert area at that point in time mainly for the weather because I, I have to chase the good weather and after that do you have a rough idea of of the route that you'd like to take yeah that's a great question um again like i said like chasing chasing the weather is sort of the way that I have to operate, uh, especially during the winter months into the spring. Um, so the plan would be to, after the holidays come January, stick around the southwestern part of the United States where there are a lot of, uh, there's the Sonoran Desert, there's the Mojave Desert. There are a lot of places to hang out where it may be a little chilly at night, um, but daytime temps will be nice. And it'll be a heck of a lot warmer than some of the northern latitudes. So the plan would be to January, February, March. Those three months will be spent in the southwest, in the deserts, the Sonoran Desert. Um, Death Valley is a place to check out. A few other places on the list would be Joshua Tree, uh, the Eastern Sierra place called Alabama Hills. I've been meaning to check out. There's a lot of van lifers that actually go there. It's a pretty uh, classic and beautiful place. Um, perhaps a little bit in uh, the 
again, the Southern California coast. I would like to go to San Diego, Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, maybe spend a little more time with my brother and sister-in-law over there if I can. Um, and then come the springtime when the temps start to warm up, I'd like to move up the California coast, up into the Northwest. And by the time it's summer, I'd like to be kind of in the Northern latitudes of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, and um, perhaps even out to the Midwest a little bit and go explore some of the upper peninsula in Michigan. And if there's time for it, then even back to the East coast and up towards Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont. But it's hard to tell because um, again, like I said, I do like to keep things open and fly by the seat of my pants, but that's sort of the general route would be um, just an overview, kind of the Southwest and the deserts through the winter up the coast in the spring. And then hopefully by the summertime, those Northern states, Northwest United States. And that's uh, that's kind of as far ahead as I have thought. And that's kind of as detailed as I've thought. Again, I kind of want to fill in the gaps uh, as I go. I would love to know what it's like to travel across the U.S. at the very top. Because I, I really only thought about it through the middle or going through the bottom just because that's where I, I, us, I normally think of how you'd want to do it, I guess, because I think, you know, what's the most, most people would think, let's take 80 and we can get there as quick as possible. But yeah, now I that think... I think about what I'd actually want to do. I think there's, there's a whole lot to see. There's a whole lot to see in our country, whether, whether you take the simple route 80 route to cross the country, it's, um, there's a whole lot of empty space, but then there's a whole lot of beauty. There's a whole lot of places out of the way to see. And then there's a whole place. There's a whole lot of places along the way to see. Um, but I think I, I've driven, I've driven across the U.S. a few times just to get back to the East Coast. And the goal was not see the places. The goal was just get point A to point B. And that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do now. However, I will say there's still value in that. And you get to, um, I don't know, you just get to get a better perspective uh, on our country. And also to me, there's something kind of romantic about driving these long distances, open roads, seeing the country, seeing middle America. Um, and at the same time, there's something even more romantic about driving to, you know, the San Juan mountains in Colorado and just going to check out what that has to offer. Cause it's this little pocket, um, of the country that is kind of out of the way and there's no real major cities over there. And a lot of people probably will go their whole lives without seeing that area. And, and I think, uh, I'm just happy to be able to have the freedom to go just choose. Okay. You know, maybe I want to go see the Sawtooth mountains in Idaho and I can figure it out and make that happen too. 
most people couldn't even tell you which states are next to each other. I think hopefully we all know our states, but even I know my geography more readily than any other quadrant of the United States. Yeah. I love looking at maps. I love looking looking at maps and knowing what's what relative to what. I'm kind of a, a nerd for, for that, for having my bearings on things. Do you have any physical maps that you rely on? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And and that'll help us kind of get into uh I guess some of the more granular level of of how I operate out there and and I guess some not tips necessarily, but like just a good I wouldn't even call it a hack, but a good thing to do when you're out there is to have maps, uh, physical maps, a good atlas, a road atlas is really helpful. Uh, so I have one of those. And then I have a couple maps from the regions that I checked out. Uh, I just went into like a local hiking store when I was up in the San Juan mountains in Colorado, which was one of the first places that I went on this journey. And um, I just bought a couple, I wish I had them here, but they're in my truck right now. Otherwise I'd show them to you, but um, it shows you really detailed maps of all of the roads, all of the forest roads, um, which are where I spend a lot of my time. And a lot of times when you're out on those forest roads, you don't necessarily have cell signal. So it's good to have them. I kind of use them as a backup. They're not my first, um, they're not my first, uh, go-to for navigation. Uh, typically I'll use my phone and I'll download, download, uh, offline maps, and the nice thing about that is it'll help you uh, find the routes, find the quickest way instead of just kind of pointing around on the maps. But I think the maps are good to have as a backup in case the phone dies, in case you don't have the offline maps. Or, you know, if you're just trying to look around and see what's what's around, because sometimes you do see stuff on those maps that, you know, may pique your interest that is not uh, not visible on your phone. How much of your route comes from the map and and how much of it comes from feel and, you know, just small adjustments for where you suddenly want? Uh, I would say about 90% percent places feel. that come up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's sort of, uh, okay, um, woke up today, where do I want to head? <laughs> and, um, and I guess sometimes looking at the map is part of that process, right? Cause then I can see what's close and figure out, um, you know, distances. So I know, okay, well I can make it to this place two hours away today, for example, but yeah, it's been, I would say vast majority just kind of feel, um, day to day, it's oh or you know what actually another another um way that i end up places a lot of the time it would is talking to people and hearing word of mouth um for example i was uh at a little coffee shop in 
Silverton, Colorado, up in the San Juan Mountains. And I didn't know exactly where I was going to stay that night. So I just started asking people in town, you know, if they knew any good dispersed or free campsites in the area. And I met this guy that was living out of his Jeep inside this cafe. And we just got to talking about travel and he was a photographer and started talking about that. And then I asked him, you know, what's a good, sp good spot to, to hang out around here. And he recommended a place called Alta Lakes, which was up in the, uh, Telluride area. And I didn't actually go there that day, but I kept that kind of in my back pocket. Um, and then I wound up there and it was one of my favorite places that I saw. So, you know, that wasn't necessarily my own feel, but it was, uh, somebody recommended a spot and I figured go check it out. Oh my God. It's. I've, I've only imagined places like this. I, I I've only. Yeah. When I, are you looking at, uh, are you looking at photos of it right now? I am big bear kind of gives me this feel, but that's, that's the closest I've come to this and I, I, yeah, for anybody that's Man. listening, it's this uh, series of alpine lakes uh, kind of nestled in this uh, the backside of a big mountain in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just crystal clear blue water, lots of, uh, lots of big, big, steep um, mountain face with... Uh, you know, it's above the tree line, so it's just this like stark rock face that just drops into, you know, this little flat area where there, there are all these lakes, and it's up pretty high. I think it's uh, maybe eleven thousand feet or so. Um, but yeah, pretty awesome spot. Good recommendation, and uh, very very accessible actually if you have decent four wheel if you have four wheel drive or or decent clearance you probably don't even necessarily need four wheel drive but just decent clearance in your vehicle you can make it up there i'll bet you can get up there in a actually i did see like a honda crv up there does it have Uh, what's the highest mountain there? And does it have a, are they all named? The highest mountain there? Is, is that what you're asking? Or in the whole yeah. state? I imagine you can, just at Alta Lakes. Um, that's a good question. I don't know that. Um, I would imagine that the peaks around that area are probably 13,000, 14,000 feet, um, all surrounding, but don't quote me on that. Cause I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm going to quote you and, uh, yeah, sorry. It's all my, it's going to expose my error of fact, Max expose my, uh, lack of journalistic integrity there. 
<laughs> no, I'll look it up real quick. And as I look it up, you can uh, ask me the next question if you got one. That reflection is so clear. Does the air feel cleaner to breathe? Um, the air feels fantastic. However, just a quick side story is when I got there, um, a couple recommended to walk this trail through the woods and it, they said it would lead to another more kind of private Alpine Lake. And I decided to immediately get my stuff and hike over there. I was pretty excited about it. So I was kind of going at a brisk pace. And as soon as I got to the woods, the trail got a little steep, kind of went up into this hill. And immediately I was out of breath because you're up at, like I said, 11,000 feet and the air is very thin there. So if you're not used to that, you will get out of breath just from walking around. And uh, despite it feeling very clean and smelling amazing up there, yeah, the, the air feels thin. Maybe it's good to, to be demanded to uh, just take deep, consistent breaths. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's very good for you to, at least this is my opinion, it's very good for you to hang out at those high elevations. Um, not only does it help your body acclimate um, to uh, climates like that, but, um, but yeah, it sort, of, uh, it sort of trains you to make sure that you're breathing evenly and it can become a whole, uh, a whole sort of practice in, in breathing and in training, especially when you're doing something physical like hiking. There's a lot of athletes that seek out high elevation places just so they can, um, experience that feeling. By the way, I just, I was just up. thinking about that. It's uh, eleven thousand. Oh yeah, what is feet. it? Um, and that's that's wow. where that's the elevation of the lakes. So, I'm guessing the peaks around have got to be yeah thirteen thousand, maybe even higher. Wow. Well, I was running today, and I. I run past this arena and I'm like, how many of these athletes would, would solve any performance issue just from living closer to, or just in higher elevation and instead of training harder or something, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. So what's your routine like in the morning? It's a great question. Walk me through what you do. So the thing about me personally is I really value, um, maybe not necessarily routine, but ritual. So the routine may vary a lot for me on the road because 
sometimes you're in a place where it's nice outside. Sometimes you're in a place where it's not nice outside and that can affect how much time you want to spend, um, doing those things. And that can affect how much time I want to spend at my camp before I take off. Um, but on an ideal day, the things that I typically do, um, in no particular order really would be drink a lot of water, have coffee, journal, and clean up, make my bed, everything, kind of make everything a little more organized at camp. Um, but I guess I could walk you through just one morning, give you kind of like a little window into it. Um, I woke up at a, a place on Lake Powell on a beach there and first thing, make some coffee. Um, I have a truck camper. So the thing about that is it has a bed platform in it where I sleep. I can't sit fully up in it. Um, and there's nothing, there's no real space other than the bed itself, which means if I want to cook, if I want to make coffee, if I want to go to the bathroom, it's get out of the truck. So typically I wake up with the sun because uh, I have just windows around me, which I can choose to cover, but I typically don't. So the sun will wake me up and then I'll open the back hatch, step out. Typically, typically I'll stretch a little bit because um, I get a little stiff sleeping back there. But again, coffee is usually the first... Uh, the first go-to, and I will make sure I drink a lot of water before I drink coffee. Um, it's just a habit of mine. And then my favorite thing to do in the morning is to sit with that coffee and journal. I have a uh, gratitude practice that I typically do, or sometimes I'll just kind of write out my thoughts, how I'm feeling, how the last day was, kind of walk through um, what's going on in my life. And that's, that's sort of the bare minimum that I do. Um, if I have a little extra time or if I'm feeling a little bit like I want to give myself a little, uh, little care, I'll do a little bit of stretching. I'm not really much of a yoga guy, but I'll do some like light stuff, just like child's pose, just to kind of like stretch out my back. Uh, cause living, living out of the truck, it's easy. Like I said, to feel stiff. I'm sitting a lot when I'm laying down in the back. I can't really sit up. And if I do or try, it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable. So I'll do some of that stuff. Um, and then I will, depending on what I'm feeling, I'll make some, some breakfast or I'll just kind of sit and play a little bit of guitar, but that's pretty much it for the morning routine. Um, during the day, it can vary so much um, because there are times when I spend a whole day at camp and then sleep there again. There are times where I wake up, I do that morning routine, and then I pack the truck and go and go to a new place. So during the day, it can really, um, it can really vary. And then the evening time, typically I'll get to camp and make some breakfast, not breakfast, I will make some, uh, some dinner and the hard part for me is when the sun goes down because I can make dinner, 
the sun goes down and it can often feel a little bit uncomfortable depending on where I am to just sort of hang out outside. Um, I'm not necessarily the most fearful person, but it just feels a little bit more safe in the truck cap, especially when it's dark. So typically I'll just kind of cozy up in there after the sun goes down. And again, like I said, that's the difficult part because it's usually seven between seven and 8 PM on this time of year when that happens. And that's early. So I will sometimes just go to bed early or sometimes I'll stay up and talk to a friend um, or listen to some music, maybe do a little reading or more journaling in bed. But I would say my go-to would be to, to talk to people. And that's the thing is being out there is great and I thrive on being alone. But in those times in the evening when the sun goes down, it's uh it can it can get a little a little lonesome so that's why uh that's why I like to call some people and and I have a lot of time to do that and catch up with people these days because I'm not working so does that answer your question on my routine yes it's it's flexible enough but you have a lot in there that, mm -hmm. that you have to do. Yeah, and I would say um, the, the bare minimum things that I, I, I try to do every day would be the journaling in the morning and cooking myself good food. And that's pretty much it, honestly. Um, I would say... Uh, yeah, I do like to enjoy like a nice drink at the end of the day, um, whether that be like a beer or a whiskey, but that's a whole nother conversation because I've found that it's often easier to want to just drink or indulge in uh, some substance in the evening. And I think that stems from, like I said, feeling a little bit bored or lonesome um, wanting sort of a distraction. It always feels like it's something to do, like an activity. And I've found that that actually isn't the healthiest. And we can talk about that now or another time, but I definitely found myself craving a little bit more while I was out there. Well, it sounds like you you already have a nice cushion for the all the changes and the adjustment that you have to make emotionally that you you have a system already and that's that must be comforting Because uh, I know a lot of people would dream up the idea and then walk into the reality of it without some kind of routine or regimen 
Yeah, I don't know what I would right? do without. Yeah, it, definitely. And there's probably more that I could do um, because I will say like it's something, it's a lifestyle that is not necessarily conducive to feeling um it's a it's it's not conducive to feeling good all the time definitely not actually it's probably conducive to feeling more ups and downs than i was before and in a way having some sort of structure to my mornings and having a few things that do ground me i don't know what i would do without that in fact i'm at i'm at a point where i'm like what else can i incorporate um I definitely could be utilizing meditation more um, and maybe being a little bit more physically active, for example, because even though I'm out there and I'm in all these pretty places and national parks and occasionally hiking, um, it's definitely irregular. And on top of that, when you're in a new place every day and you're traveling and every day is so, um, so different, then it's also easy to eat irregularly so and sleep irregularly. So all of those things, I think I could probably do a better job of regulating um, as part of that um, structure to, to help with the emotional and physical adjustment to it all. And what you said about the, the emotional adjustment is, is so real. I said it before, but like the, the ups and downs of, of life are so much more extreme. Um, and because you have much less distraction and oftentimes you are alone with nothing but your thoughts, not even your phone to distract you at times, uh, it can, it can get really easy to get more in your own head. And I can't tell you how many times I was out there saying to myself, man, this actually isn't that fun right now. There's a lot of those moments. There's a lot of moments where it's like, I feel mm. sick. I feel tired. I feel stressed. And then there are moments where I feel free and joyful and like I want to just scream off of uh, off of a mountain with joy so it's again it's those extremes of everyday life just get more extreme out there I guess and I mean that I've heard I've heard that said before but that's definitely that's definitely an adjustment especially for somebody that is already as emotional as I am And you said you feel like you should be meditating more. But you also said you're not much of a yoga guy. So what's a yoga guy? And, uh, and why, why pick one and not the other? Uh, so I heard the why yoga guy. Or what's a yoga guy? And what? Why, yeah, and question? and just why? What makes you want to choose one and not the other? 
I mean, I think for me, it's just, um, it's a, it's a frequency thing. Like, and I guess a frequency and an experience thing. Like, I think it's something that I think of as, oh, this could be good for me and I should do this and I do it sometimes. Um, but I'm not at all, um, very experienced in it. Um, but that, that's not to say that I can't be a yoga guy at some point. Right. Well, I think it's very attractive to beginners because if you approach it as approach it in the traditional way, which is no expectation for the first like three years. Like it's if you were to approach it traditionally, it would be hold very simple poses for long periods of time. And don't even think about moving from one to the other for a very long time. And and so what act what happens if you get into yoga and you in a, a westernized version and you get into it too quickly is you can just tax your nervous system more or stress it out more because although you're doing all this stretching and you know moving from one thing to another uh, it's your body hasn't fully opened up yet so you you wouldn't you wouldn't be reaping the full benefit of moving from one pose to the other as much because you know your body isn't ready to handle the full extent of each pose so you're just not getting out of it what you could if you really started slow for the first few years so i think to me that sounds really encouraging because then you can just think to yourself all i have to do or find or learn about poses that i find really nice and comfortable and just just settle into them for a while and you can you tell yourself this is what it is like i'm doing yoga right now this is actually what it's about i can just be here like i would be sitting down or something yeah and i think there's a parallel um with thinking long term like you just mentioned um with that and meditation because it's one of those things that if you are like me and it's something sort of new and you not that those things are necessarily new to me but um I feel like there's so much still to explore. It's really just a practice, right? And it's one of those things that you can't just expect is going to be amazing from the bat. It's sort of a long-term game that you play where it's you're sort of building over time this experience. Absolutely. And... And it, this kind of strategy also prevents you from having the 
desire to to have some sort of outcome from the from the experience like okay now you can really get further into it now now it's time to learn the next thing or do the next thing just because you you just reached a new level you feel like you can handle the next step and if you i was just listening to someone talk about how while meditating if you feel like you're about to have a very spiritual and you know embodied kind of experience you should just stop meditating and their reasoning was that if you did let that well up and come over you then you'd really have no choice but to get really attached to that idea and then or idea slash experience and then seek it out the next time um i think i it depends when when you when you know what that's about more you can maybe welcome it and and then you won't get attached to it and and try to simulate it in some way in the future but i understand why someone would say that to someone who's not familiar with uh those kinds of experiences yeah and and back to the whole like traveling thing and 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 the application of these practices in that context i think they're really important um because again like i said it's just it's it's easier when you don't have as much distraction um, for the mind to get louder or for the body to hurt more or feel more stressed. And it's easy to get in this cycle of, for me at least, okay, I'm a little bit stressed today. I'm going to get to camp and have a beer and smoke some cannabis to help my mind but sometimes it feels like that's a um not necessarily feeding the negative feedback loop um but that will make make me more tired or groggy the next day and that's not to say those things are are bad um but it's easy to get in a cycle of like almost every day being like okay well like here here's the time of the day where my mind will will run a little bit so I'll time it so that when I get to camp, I can have my drink or talk to somebody and sort of like seek these external distractions. Um, because if you're not, then you're just sort of stuck with yourself. And I think the practice more, more speaking to meditation is probably very valuable because, um, that's when that's going to be valuable for you is in those times when it's easy to, again, seek, those external things when really we can, we can all be okay in the moment. Um, but if you're, if you're not an experienced meditator, like I'm not, um, or at least out of practice at the moment, um, then, then I think it's, uh, 
again, it just makes it even easier to get in the head, especially living this kind of life. You said something important for for anyone who's trying to work harder to maybe get over a hill and then eliminate the next distraction or the next thing that is taking them away from the other thing. And, and that is when you have less or fewer distractions, your mind gets louder. And that would mean the more you do to try to, so this is kind of like the opposite side of, of what you're talking about. Imagine you were working towards some feeling of, okay, now I can afford to not have this be a pain for, for me in terms of time or, or using my mind to have to do it. If you eliminate enough of those things just so you have freedom or more time, that actually can make it harder for you to do whatever you thought you were going to do with all that time. And it it's so... It, it's such a paradox. Like, you, you'd feel that you'd really get what you aimed for like all of this time where i can feel a sense of timelessness like i've i've blocked out enough time so that i won't feel time and you don't you don't end up getting that you get a lot of you know interruptions by your mind because you have less order and you've You've been able to eliminate things that, that were annoying to you, but that actually made it harder. It's so bizarre. Yes, I, I really liked what you just said there um, with having less order because I'm somebody that when I have my life has less order and there's a lot more time, um, for example, when I'm not working, then my time management actually gets worse because... I don't view it, I, don't, I guess I don't necessarily value the time that I have to myself in contrast to the time when I'm working for somebody else quite as much, if that makes sense. So as a result, when I'm out there with so much extra time, there's this one part of me that's like, well, I can, I can do this one thing that's important a little later because I have all this time. And then it sort of turns into this... Um, Again, like I said, like a poor management of it because there's just an excess. And then that just gets stressful too at times. Yeah, I can, I can relate to, uh, to, to really feeling like I have less control over my day when I don't have certain things that I have to do at a certain time. And I think that's that's totally expected if you spent 
so much of your life overwhelmingly doing or having having things laid out for you uh it it just makes sense it would be that way because i've only had let's say 20% of my life being uh less dedicated to uh other people and and a structure that has enough flexibility where these things like this this level of self-distraction can can really creep in and sometimes i feel like there's uh there's something i can do about it but i'm starting to feel like um i will just naturally find all the things that i have to put in place and that basically time time is just working against you a little bit because it hasn't been that long you know it again like 80 percent of of our lives or, or more uh, have been dedicated to this pretty rigid routine whether it's right. like school or whatever you have going on after. Yeah. And I think it can be, um, it can be really jarring to be doing that for so long. And then to suddenly, I don't know, people go through it all the time, I guess, like imagine you're working for 15 years. And then one day you wake up and you lose your job. Like you're so ingrained into that, like you said, that rigidity. And then suddenly it's like, okay, what I have this entire day. And maybe on the, when you were thinking about that, while you were in sort of that grind, it can seem appealing to have that time. But then when you have it, it's easy to be like, well, wait a minute, like, what is my purpose now? Or what is the purpose of today? And, um, and yeah, that's definitely something that, uh, happened to me when I stopped working. Do you feel like it's it's something you could really lock in and and you don't have to you don't have to um like you can adjust the system later on do you think it's something that you can work out if you really thought about it in a short period of time and it wouldn't have to take you step by step over a long period of time? Do you, do you feel like there's a way to just really instill it in yourself and, and just move on? 
you're saying work next, out the like work out the situation of being sort of in that um, lack of rigidity and structure. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is, do you feel like you can learn your own structure in a short period of time and and get it in place and, and not have to really learn slowly? This is basically, this is the idea in Buddhism that you have you have two kinds of enlightenment. There's immediate, which has happened for many people. And then there's the gradual school. And, and they both happen on different, to different degrees for each person. Um, but they're both recognized as, as, uh, as valid experiences you you can have something change in your behavior or in your thinking and it can be immediate and it can just stay that way and that's recognized as possible uh in a lot of buddhist schools i'm forgetting the one uh that's coming that should be coming to my mind but uh it's just comforting to know that some changes just happen and they just, they stick. There's no need to, uh, to keep working it out or like trying to lay down the foundation over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is what you're asking then are you asking if I view this opportunity right now as sort of like an opportunity to um, take sort of that long-term, what you called enlightenment route of, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable now, but let's look at it sort of, sort of more of a, um, like a growth curve over time. Right. How much of it do you feel is going to be that way? And how much of it do you feel will be more immediate? And like, I got this now, this is what I have to do from now on. And it just, mm. I, I know it should be this way and it makes me, feel better when it's this way so i just so it just has to be this way from now on that's a good question i think i think it's definitely it's definitely a little bit of both but i think on the day-to-day -day basis um it's probably more of the latter of like yeah maybe this isn't the easiest thing right now but like it's kind of like I have to accept the day and the happenings for what they are here. And, and like, this is just the way it is and sort of not think super long term because that to me can also be 
challenging because there is so much uncertainty just in life, but also in my life right now. It can be hard to think about in terms of horizontal time. <laughs> if you just think about it like, this is how my day is going to be. And if I do this once and it feels good, I know I can do it again tomorrow, even if I'm in a new location or have, you know, different places I need to find for food. Like, I'm sure you'll, and it sounds like you're already doing this and but i it's it's not a surprise that you have structure that really works for you and it's only been a month some yeah yeah and I some would people say would like really not have that yeah i mean i think a lot of it is like I carried things into the experience that I was already doing before. Um, like I said, the practice of journaling and having my routine of, of coffee in the morning and all those little things. Um, but that said, I definitely think there could be more structure to um, the day to day or even just like planning out a little bit more ahead of time. And I only say that because I think there's a lot of people, myself included, that thrive on sort of kind of knowing what's coming up and having something to look forward to. Um, whereas in my case, a lot of the, a lot of the days it's like, okay, where am I going to go today? Where am I going to end up? Where am I going to sleep? And that's exciting in one sense to because it ends up leading to unexpected things. But I think there's also part of me that, that sort of needs to have a little more structure of, okay, well, I know I'm going to wind up in Monument Valley on this day, and I'm going to make sure that I do this one hike and and sort of have that kind of on the schedule. I think that's something that I can incorporate a little bit more to bring more of that structure and to make it feel more, um, a little bit more planned out. And I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing that I don't necessarily see wrong with how I've been operating. Um, but I think I've been almost flying by the seat of my pants uh, just a little too much. Um, and I think there's a balance to be struck. Not that that's that operating that way is bad, but I just still seeking that balance of structure and spontaneity. Where does editing fall in terms of, uh, feeling like you're getting to wind down and do something versus 
uh, okay, I gotta, you know, I'm, I'm not in a studio, I, and I have to find a way to get all of the, the cuts I want and put this together. So how much does editing feel like work, basically? To me, it sounds really nice when everything, uh, when you don't have uh, well, you have more discomfort now. So is that affecting how you feel while you edit? Um, that's a great question. I would say where editing fits in um, with the videos and stuff is... Uh, I don't know what I would do without it, to be honest. Um, it sort of makes the whole experience feel purposeful to me. And that comes in the capturing a lot too. Um, but I would say that neither the capturing, which I mean filming, um, or the editing at all feels like, oh man, gotta, gotta get this done because I said I'd get it done or got to get it done because um, somebody else needs to get it done because it's all being done for myself, really. And to me, like a lot of times when I, I, I have a couple days worth of footage, I can't wait to, to like look at it. So um, I find myself sometimes just in the back of the truck, not even, not even editing yet, but at the end of the day, I really like to just put in the SD card, kind of skim through what I got and kind of get an idea of, of, of what's there and, and what else I, I should get. And, um, and then when I find a day to slip into a cafe, like I really look forward to those days because there's something to me that's really relaxing about it. Um, I would say there are times when maybe I've been chilling in that cafe for nine hours and the video is almost there. It's like, I feel a little drained, um, but it's a good kind of drained because I would say I do need to incorporate a little bit of that push to just be like, okay, like maybe this is a little bit of a chore at the end. Um, to just finally get it done. Uh, but I would say the vast majority of the editing is is done because I can't wait to share it. And and again, it's this relaxing part. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice shift because the typical day-to-day, -day, uh, I guess, errands and chores are, you know, the more physical... The more simple tasks, whether that's finding a place to do laundry, washing off my dishes, making the bed, um, breaking down my table and camp and everything. And um, it's a nice shift to get into something that's more cerebral and more creative because that's something that I used to do every day. And now that makes up a much 
um, smaller fraction of my life. However, because it's on my own terms, it just is, it, it's again, so fulfilling and it is something that I just look forward to doing from, uh, inspired place. It's not at all. Um, it's very rarely like, a, Oh, like gotta get this done or gotta, gotta pull out the camera now for the sake of this. It's more, I just, I just can't wait to share it. So I want to do it. Does that answer your question? It does. It, it sounds like just even though it's, it can take a while and it takes a lot of your attention to, uh, to find your selects and to, uh, edit, uh, in terms of like color and, and cutting. It seems like it still feels like a relaxing task. You know what I'll say too about that is the biggest shift for me is, is moving from doing client work and knowing that there are, there's a set of eyes that's going to see what I'm doing, a set of critical eyes that's going to look out for changes. And I basically have to match a vision of what somebody else has, or I guess I have to match somebody else's vision. It's a better way to say it. And that is inherently kind of takes you out of the moment of, of, of and the joy of doing it. Whereas now it's sure like, does. yeah. Whereas it, it, I guess it's like the difference of if you're writing a song for a, you know, a TV ad and somebody's got these strict parameters on you about it versus just writing a song to express yourself. Right. Um, and I think that's been the biggest shift for me is it's like, well, I was doing all this client work to now suddenly like the only set of critical eyes that really matters is are mine. And at the end of the day, I know there's, there's things that just aren't in my view, perfect right? Like because of the nature of what I'm doing now, it's not necessarily like this has to be perfectly polished and all the audio levels have to be exactly right. And it has to be, um, you know, a certain length. It's more so just, I, I just want to get this stuff out there. So it's not, a, it's just less pressure. Um, and, and that's been refreshing. And you said, you said, actually, I'm going to pause it for a sec. Okay. Yeah, it, it can be longer too. Just like, I guess, I guess I'll let you take her home. However, it needs to be naturally. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, I can really relate to, uh, that idea of feeling like you have to imagine someone else's vision. And 
I think it's a good exercise for, you know, refining a craft. Just just to have an outline, like just just to take the deci- the decision of thinking about what to do out of the equation, and and to have someone go do this, you know, that that's good for people. It it helps you just cut right to the doing part of it, and so a lot of us need that. Um, but it's it's really fun to get to do both and to tell yourself the sort of constraints and then and then to to then be the artist. Hang on, we got a uh... <laughs> got a truck broadcasting going. from uh, DC, ain't it? Loud city. Yeah, well, got the door open because I have a screen, so uh, can hear all the goings on. But um, yeah, it's isn't it really nice to be sort of to give yourself the guidelines and then to listen to yourself and go, Oh, okay. Then those are my guidelines. How am I going to do this? Cause I think that's the only true way to have any real like desirable outcome from it. Cause it, the, the fewer guidelines you give yourself, the less of a project you'll, uh, you'll really have. Cause because you just don't really know what to do when you don't have expectations or or guidelines. Yeah, and I would say that's all. So that's like the challenging part about it for me has been um, when I started out, it was like, well, like how long should I make this? Or like what's what's the vibe that I'm going for? Or uh, how how open and honest do I want to be in these you know, how much talking do I want there to be? And I felt, you know, you can get creatively stuck. I've been stuck pretty much on every video I've made so far right in the beginning because it's like, well, I don't have a roadmap at all. It's just sort of whatever it is I want at this point. And sometimes I don't know what I want. There's a there's a cool method for whatever your whatever your medium is for for making art. There's a and this I heard this in terms of drawing, but it would really relate to a lot of different uh, mediums. It's it's draw. Let's say like draw a guitar in in five minutes then draw it in 10 and then in 20 and then in 30 and well it's not exactly like just express express yourself raw in in a raw way over this entire canvas 
Like it's it's not that much freedom, but at least it gives you some kind of. Uh, it just removes your deliberation about what you're doing, and then especially with the time frame, which gives you the other variable you have control over, you you go okay. Well, I'm not going to be hard on myself. Let's see what I can do in five fucking minutes. And then 10 minutes. And you, you say, okay, well, it's not that much further from what I...